What's up? It's Marcus. And just a quick note, Create and Orchestrate is live. You can get it today at Amazon. And for a very short period of time, it is available for 99 cents on the Kindle. So uh, that is a complete steal. Go grab it today if you haven't already. And also, I'm selling signed copies as well as commemorative t-shirts for the launch at my own e-commerce store, creativepower.co. That's creativepower.co. So go get it today. And now for the episode of Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe. This is Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe. Like you got to do the work. You got to show up and just do the work. What's up? It's Thursday. I still have not slept a decent night in three days. And that's all because of you people who have kept me running on adrenaline with the launch of this book. Um, Thank you so much. It's been uh, a completely, I was just talking with uh, our guest for the day about how humbling this moment in time is when you, you spend all this time working on something and you put it out in the world and you just can't believe anybody actually wants to spend a second reading what you wrote. Um, And so to get the feedback that I've gotten this week has been incredible, but this is a really good time to uh, transition into my guest who has far more experience in this thing that I'm currently experiencing. Uh, She is a best-selling author. Uh, She has a fantastic course that I've been able to audit for uh, the last couple of weeks in preparation for our talk Uh, and just sort of a total badass person. So I'm happy to have her on the show. Uh, You can find her everywhere online at HeyLGO. This is Laura Gassner-Odding. Laura, what's good? Hey, Marcus, thank you for having me today. And what a great week to be here. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I think this is, this is perfect, right? Because I'm feeling uh, uplifted right now. I'm feeling super excited about things. And at the same time, like, I really want to talk about, um, you know, what we, what we need to be thinking and feeling and doing in this, in this moment to totally take advantage of, of this moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But can we take a minute and just celebrate that your book launched number one in the entrepreneurship category on Amazon? I mean, that's huge. That's amazing. I'm so, so exciting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We, that was like, that was like the stretch goal. Um, And uh, my publishing partner, uh, Scribe Media, you know, Zach over there was like, dude, I've seen so many people get close. They get into like number three on that category. So for you to get to number one is a big deal. I don't know. I've never done this before. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have a frame of reference, but um, it, it certainly felt validating to, to hit that, that mark. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are like, I'm a number one Amazon bestseller, but they're like number one Amazon in like some teeny weeny little unimportant, strange, like, you know, one handed birders who juggle category. Yeah. Right. Like no offense to the birders who juggle or who have one hand, but (laughs) I, I, I can see the hate mail coming, but entrepreneurship is huge. And so I think what that says is you have a lot of people in your corner who are excited about this, who have listened to you, who know what you have to say, who know your message and you've who you showed up for for a long time who are now showing up back for you so i think it says both that you've got a great network and that your message is one that's resonant and needed right now well uh again i'm humbled and uh thank you for more kind words um you know i just feel very optimistic about the world at the moment even in the midst of everything that's going on and uh that's why i think you're the perfect guest for today so uh if you would let's just take a second because i know this is going to be a very fast 30 minutes between us uh 
just share with the viewers and listeners your story. Yeah. So my story is I am an accidental author. I'm an accidental speaker. I grew up thinking I was going to be the first female U.S. senator from the great state of Florida. And then I got to law school and I was like... (laughs) This sucks. I don't want to be here. It was like organ rejection. And so what do you do when you're in a bad place? You date a guy who's terrible for you. So I started dating a guy (laughs) who I like to say had great taste in precisely two things. The first being obviously girlfriends and the second being unknown presidential candidates from tiny Southern states. And one day it was raining and he drove me home from from campus. And he's like, I just want to stop at this guy's office. He's running for president. I want to pick up some paperwork. Cause this is like back before the internet. So you actually uh-huh. had to like go to campaign offices. And I was like, governor who, from where Mississippi Pfft. or uh, sorry, um, Arkansas, I'm like not oh, a chance in hell. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, I walked in and there was this, this video of then governor Bill Clinton telling the story about uh, how there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed with what's right with America. And he offered as a policy proposal, um, community service, community service in exchange for college tuition. And I was like, oh my God, yes, that has to happen. So I dropped out of law school. I joined the campaign. And then the next thing you know, he gets elected president. He ends up in the White House. I end up in the White House. I helped create the AmeriCorps program. which was a crazy first job. And then after about four years, I was a little bored. I wanted to do something else. I'd come to do the thing I wanted to do. And I went to talk to a headhunter. And that headhunter was based in Boston. And the guy I was dating then, who was a much better guy for me, who I've been married to for almost 25 years, was about to move to Boston. So I was like, well, that's really interesting. I should work for you. And he's like, you should work for me. And I was like, great, what do you do? And so I ended up in Boston (laughs) as a headhunter. And I worked for him for four or five years until I had that moment of rage that every entrepreneur has had Mm -hmm. when I realized I can do this better and smarter and faster and with more authenticity and more integrity and probably more profit for myself and less cost for my client. And I walked into his office and I was like, here's the way. And he was like, there's the door. (laughs) So I started my home company and then I ran that for 15 years and I sold it five years ago yesterday to the women who helped me build it. And after that, I had this moment of like, I don't know, identity crisis when it's like, if I'm no longer LGO CEO, here's my card. Who the heck am I? Right. So I started blogging and um, the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge saw one of those blogs and said, that would make a great talk. And I was like, no way. I don't want to do a talk. I don't want to do a TED talk. I don't want to speak. That sounds terrifying. And my then 15 year old looked at me and was like, "Um, don't you tell me I always have to do hard things. Mm. That's the thing that my kid decides to listen to. So the next thing you know, I'm (laughs) on the stage, 2,600 people, three mezzanines, beautiful gold guild walls, you know, crystal chandeliers, and I'm speaking. And then that talk gets attention, which gets attention. And I'm moving on and on and I'm getting offered to speak places for money. And I was like, well, that's an interesting job. (laughs) Tell me more about that. And then when I started getting offered even more money, I noticed the other people on the stage at, you know, 10 and 15,000 all had books. So I was like, well, I better get me one of them. Mm. So I wrote Limitless and that brings me here to you today. Wow. Great job (laughs) encapsulating decades, uh, (laughs) multiple relationships. You fit the child in there. I mean, that was, that was fantastic. Um, what, what a great background. So, so let's, let's, uh, let's circle back to the, the moment where there's a couple of things I want to jump on there. Uh, the moment where 
you're at the company and you real you have that moment of rage. Um, I I tried to frame that in my book as a personality type that I that I basically call uh, ambitious creative rebels, which yes. are these people who it's very very difficult for us to exist in someone else's structure. Like, <laughs> like, I, yeah. like, 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 cause I'm, cause you know, it's, it's, it's not that they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong for us. <laughs> you know what I and, mean? And, and you can't help but see possibility. So, you right. know, about five years into starting that, my own company, I ran into my old boss from the white house, the man who helps, you know, who ran the office of national service to create AmeriCorps. Okay. And so this is, you know, 15 years later at the time or 10 years later. And and he was like, I've been watching you. I've been watching your company grow. I'm so proud of you. Did you always know you were an entrepreneur? Because I did. Yeah. And I was like, thanks. And then I went home and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> did, did he just call me unmanageable? I think he just called me unmanageable. Yes. And, you know, I, you know, our, 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 our mutual friend, Scott Stratton, likes to say that entrepreneur is Latin for bad employee. <laughs> I think that maybe that's true. But it's not that you can't exist in someone else's structure. It's just you you always see improvements and yes. possibilities. And so when somebody else who runs the structure doesn't or doesn't want that or has their ego so wrapped in it that they can't handle it, you can't help but just you can't get be there. frustrated. You can't be there. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The best job I ever had was a startup where I was a fifth employee and I stayed there for four years and it was unbelievable because there was more work than there were people, right? Yes. So we're all too busy to be in each other's shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the point at which I had my micro rage, it wasn't a full on rage, but where I had my micro rage was we got to, we went from five people to 50 people and politics just start setting in. Yeah. They just, they just do. Like, I wonder even as the CEO of the company that you eventually sold to the women who helped you build it, like, did you feel like you had built something and then started to feel like a slave to it in some ways? Like, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So like, there was the moment, like, okay. So every entrepreneur I know goes through this, right? Where you leave where you are because you have this idea, this innovation, this, this iteration of something and you do it. And then you, 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 you grow it and you're doing the work and it's great. And then it's successful. So you have to bring on more people. So you right. bring on more people. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, instead of being the person who's out there creating the idea or being the iconoclast who's saying like, Hey, set this should be done differently. Look at my solution. And they go, whoa, okay. Right. You're busy managing people. And all of a sudden you've got like Mary from HR talking to you about sick leave policies. And you've got, you know, Joe from accounting asking you about like, well, what percentage should we charge for people who want to pay credit card versus checks? And you're just like, I don't care. I don't right? care. Like it's not I don't interesting. Care. And so for me, the, 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 the big aha moment was the day that I realized I don't actually like executive search, like the work that my firm is doing. Like I love solving the problems for our clients because that's entrepreneurial, that's innovative, but I don't actually like executive search. And, and I had, we started the firm because I thought of an entirely new way that this service should be delivered to the entire nonprofit sector. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden, rather than having to be the person walking into pitches, convincing these like, you know, old, you know, traditional white guys that this virtual firm, this is back in 2002, like virtual didn't really exist. Rather than having to convince them that we were the way, they were like, oh yeah, every firm we're interviewing today is virtual. And I realized I, I, we grew the firm 100% every year for the first 10 years. And I was busy pulling the firm over the next hill of innovation. And my team was like, awesome. Could we just 
take the car out on the road and see how fast we can drive it. Like stop futzing with the engine. And I was more interested in the futzing yes. and the improvement and the innovation. Yes. And they just wanted to run the company. And yes. here's the big moment that I realized it was when I was complaining to an old mentor of mine. And I was like, the people who work for me just aren't that entrepreneurial. And he was like, no, you're the entrepreneur. They don't need to be entrepreneurial. No. They have jobs. That's right. You're the entrepreneur. And I was like, whoa, just because people want to work in a really entrepreneurial setting doesn't make them entrepreneurs. And that means that no matter how, like, I'm never going to be speaking their language. And that's hard. That's lonely. It is lonely. It's so lonely. And like, you almost have to go through one entire cycle of that experience to get it. No one can explain it to you because when people come in to a two-way startup, like I'm talking sub 10 employees, when those people come in, like they're there for it and we're shoulder to shoulder and we're all working on it. And that still doesn't mean that they're actually an entrepreneur. So when I, the day that I announced to the firm that I was leaving, I can't tell you how many people came up to me. They were like, you can't leave. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about, you know, maybe I was going to leave next year or the year after that, but you, you can't leave. And I was like, just because I founded the company, I'm supposed to die in this chair. Like, right. no, thank you. So here's the other thing that, that I, that I realized is that my job as the CEO, as the entrepreneur was to be 18 to 24 months ahead of the market at any given time. Mm. Like I had to be determining what the problems, what the solutions were to problems that the market didn't even know existed because that's how I got the jump. That's how I was ahead of everything. So if I was really good, like firing on all cylinders, I was 18, 24 months ahead of the market. Now my team who's delivering services, if they were really good, if they were firing on all cylinders, they were focused on this client, this report, this day, this week, this, you know, this month, maybe they were thinking about the quarter, maybe. So the better they got at their work and the better I got at my work, the further divorced we were. And that's a pretty, I mean, you want to talk about lonely, the better I did my job, the better they did their job, the lonelier we all got. And so that's a, you know, it's hard to go and talk to your team about where the firm is going when they're like, I got a client report due tomorrow. Right. Wah, 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 right? right? You're like Charlie Brown's teacher. Right. So to continue to always have to give them their Kool-Aid while you're going thirsty. It's so hard. It's so Tough. hard. Yeah, it's so hard. I, I am I am relating so much to everything you're saying right now. And it makes me feel very validated in terms of how I have navigated my, my own, you know, because even if you're an entrepreneur, like you still have a professional life, right? It's like, you know, what is it that you do? And I'm still an owner and a, I I didn't sell my ownership in my, in my venture fund, but like, I'm not there day to day. I don't have like direct management responsibility and it's so much better for everybody. Like it's so (laughs) much better for everybody. Yeah. Well, there's also the moment where I realized that I was a terrible manager, like terrible, like bad, like abusive manager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like yeah. you, you, the way you manage yourself, you can't manage everyone the way that you manage yourself. Right. That's not, no. that's not something you, you can do. And also I think back to your point about not caring about the, uh, you know, how, how much gets spent on, uh, how much gets spent on, uh, I, I don't know, this expense or, or this, this sheet of paper. It's like, if you don't love it, it's hard to be good at it. Right. You know what I mean? If you don't love it, 
And it's hard to fake it for an extended period of time. Yes. Like, you can fake it once or twice, but yes. like you can't maintain that. So, you know, I am, I am a great champion. I am the friend you want in your foxhole. I am the friend you want in the corner. I'm like, I will go toe to toe with like a six foot 10, 400 pound guy in a bar fight Yeah. for you. I'll never do it for myself because I'm deeply confrontation averse. But if you attack my people, I am like all over you. Like if and 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 if I'm going to celebrate, I will scream from the rooftops like the Jewish mother Maven Yenta that I am. <laughs> but I am not a manager. And when I tried to manage, it was like it was like it was like when I try to have those conversations with those teens, and they're like looking at me like they know they have to pay attention, but you know they're like I wish I could be anywhere else. Like yeah. they can't fake it, I couldn't fake it. And my team, they were doing such amazing work that I knew that they needed somebody better in that role. And that's mm-hmm. a hard thing in entrepreneurship to be like, hard. you know what? I actually suck at this. And the fact that I suck at this means that my people aren't being as great as they can be, which also doesn't allow me to be in the space where I'm really shining. And I have to, this is a time where I need to bring someone in both for their own protection, but also so that they can, they can grow and thrive. And so I can as well. So this is, uh, I think, a wonderful segue to talk about your book because there is something very counterintuitive when we've all sort of been taught from a young age, we've been conditioned that this is the way. You go to school and then you go to grad school and then you get said job and then you ascend in that company and you manage lots of people and that is the path to excellence and you know achievement and all that other kind of stuff. I think it's so refreshing to hear you talk about all the things that you were not good at and all the things you had to shed Uh on your path to writing a book called Limitless. Yeah, Limitless, how to ignore everybody, right? (laughs) How to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. So when I left the White House and I ended up at that big search firm, which was the biggest search firm and the the, the marquee firm, the top firm in the country that did specifically nonprofit and mission-driven executive search. I thought I'd made it. I was like, this is amazing. This is terrific. I'm at the best firm. Check, right? High marquee value. Check. You know, good brand prestige. Check. Now I need to lean in. I need to say yes to every single thing. I need to figure it out later. I need to sacrifice friends and relationships and all of that. And I did. I became the youngest vice president in the history of the firm. And I got to the top. I was in the corner office looking over all of Boston, the Boston Commons. And I looked around and I was like, the top of what? I'm sitting in the office and my clients are on the other side and we're about to seal the deal on a big contract. And I realized that I didn't actually care that much about their mission. I was doing the math in my head about whether or not I'd make my nut for the quarter mm-hmm. early so that I could impress everybody around me. And I realized that what I actually cared about, the reason I was doing this work was because I actually wanted to help change the world. I wanted to help those clients to do the amazing work that they did even better with the lever of talent that was what I brought to the table. And I was sitting there patting myself on the back, all proud of myself and my fancy title and my fancy view and my fancy bonus that I was going to get. And I actually wasn't living in consonant uh, with the with the values that I held dear. And that was a moment where I was like, I need to leave. Like I leaned in but I leaned into what? And I think that happens to so many of us because, look, I had a huge problem with Lean In when I first read it. And it's not because I was upset about Sheryl Sandberg and sort of how she uh, got her success. She has you know, a huge amount of privilege and good for her. She'd be folly not to use it. We should all use whatever privilege we have. My issue was how she defined success. And she defined it as like this one myopic 
fastest and most expedient path to the corner office. And if you aren't doing that, you're failing. Mm. The same with entrepreneurs. If it's not bigger, better, faster, more, you're failing. So fast forward a number of years and I'm sitting at my search firm and we brought in this very impressive Harvard Business School professor to come and facilitate our retreat. And there were like 30 of us there at the time. And she went around the room as her opening question and she said, I want everyone to tell me how many people do you think would be the ideal number of staff members for this company? And so everyone's like 75, 32, 12, like people were just pulling numbers out of their buttholes. And they, she got to me at the very end. And I said, actually, I think that's the, I think that's a terrible question. Yeah. What does that question it's even terrible mean? question. Like, why? Like, are we maximizing for profitability? Are we maximizing for impact in the world? Are we maximizing for personal flexibility in our own lives? Tell me what we're maximizing for. And then I'll tell you the kind of company we need to build to get there. So I think a mistake that we make is that we think we need to lean in. We think bigger, better, faster, more. We think the bigger title, the bigger house, the bigger car, the bigger whatever is success. But I'll tell you, in 20 years of doing executive search, I call thousands of people on behalf of my clients. He's bold-faced, super successful names. And they all took my calls because even though they were super successful, they weren't actually all that happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how, how does that, like, how, how did you take that and put it into the book? Like, give, give me, give me the, give me the, the, the one, one minute drop on yeah. the book. Cause I want, I want to get into the course and yeah. Yeah. So the book is based around this idea of consonants right? If, if, if uh, bigger, better, faster, more, if everyone else's definition of success doesn't make any sense, what does make sense for you? How do you be both successful and happy? And the way you do that is you live in consonance with who you are. And we all know consonance. It's alignment. It's flow. It's when the what you do matches the who you are. And what I learned is that it's made up of four things. And those are the four things that we talk about in the book and in the course. And just quickly, there are four. There's calling, which is this gravitational force, the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. It could be a cause that you want to serve. It could be a leader who inspires you. It could be a family you want to nurture. It could be a business you want to build. Then there's connection. Connection is, does the work you're doing actually matter? Can you see a direct line from the work you're doing right now today, your inbox, your calendar, your to-do list, to the calling you want to serve? Mm. Third is contribution. Does the work contribute to the life that you want to live? the money you want to earn, the career trajectory you'd like to have, the values you want to manifest on a daily basis. And then lastly is control. And this is where us entrepreneurs really you know, can feel it. Do you personally have control? Do you have agency to affect how much your work connects to that calling and how much the, the work that you do uh, contributes to the life that you want to lead? Love it. I love it. That's, yeah, yeah. It's a simple framework. That's a great framework. That's a and really good framework. Each of us at each age and a different stage of life want different things. So when you were 24, you probably wanted different things than you want right, when you want right now. Yes. And when you're 54, you're going to want different things. So the amount of connection, calling, contribution, control will change at every age and at every life stage. But we get it wrong because at 16, 17 years old, someone says, pick a job, pick a trade, pick a college, pick a path. And we're like, okay. Right. But we don't have a frontal lobe. So we actually make a decision based on the rest of our life before we literally have the mental capacity to make a good one. And then 20 years later, we're like, well, I thought I was supposed to be a lawyer. I thought I was supposed to be a accountant. I thought I was supposed to be a whatever. And now there's sunk costs. So I guess I'll just keep doing this. Life is short. Like, why would you do that? And especially now during COVID and people keep talking about the new normal. 
I reject the new normal because I rejected the old normal. You're an entrepreneur. We have rejected the old normal. So yes. when life goes back to normal, is the life you want really that? Probably not. Probably so this not. is such a great time to actually think about what do you want your new normal to be? What do you want this life to be that you only get one of and you might even be halfway through at this point? So, so when did you shift from the book and speaking to making an actual course? Like what, what was what was the what was the leap there? Was it was that like a oh I see all these people with with books that are speaking also have courses I better get one of those too? Or was there something where you felt you, you wanted to uh, engage more deeply with with the people who were resonating with the book? Yeah, well, so I kept I kept getting coming off of stage and I would sit in these uh, in the lines where people would would uh, I'd sign the book for people. And they would say, God, you know, I love it. It's great. They would like blow smoke up my ass. They were like so complimentary. And they were like, uh, how can I go deeper? And I was like, you can't. Sorry. <laughs> like I just didn't. I was honestly, when the book, when when the book first came out, I wanted to have a course that went along with it, but I was too much of a wimp. I didn't think I could get it right. I didn't know how to do it. I was overwhelmed by the technology. And then fast forward to COVID and it's like March 12th and my kids are going to be out of school on March 14th for spring break. And I'm thinking they're probably not going back. Right. And at that point we were all thinking we're all going to get sick. So I was like, I better get this thing done before I get sick because people are going to be home for a long time. So I just said, it's time. I got to just do it. I'd worked with Pam Slim uh, a couple months earlier, just thinking about the outline. And then I just kind of got distracted and, and just, was scared to pull the pull the um, pull the ripcord, but then when COVID happened, I was like, "Well, stages are going away. This is going to be my stage now. I better figure out how to do it." Because if what I want to do is, if my life's work is to help empower and engage people in living in fully living into the life that they want, like leaning into their best version of themselves and not everyone else's definition of it, if that's what I want to do. And the way that I do it is by helping people understand how to actually create their own definition. Well, what's the best medium? And if the best medium used to be a big stage in front of thousands of people and that's gone, well, now what's the best medium? I thought it was the second best medium, but it turns out there's more people here than there were in that room. And also it's never been so democratized to be able to be in front of more people. There's no gatekeeper. There's nobody saying you can be on my stage. You can't be, I just create my own stage. I just yep. go live every day and I create my own stage. And it's incredible to me what just a little bit of creativity and that entrepreneurial mindset, suddenly it's like the whole world is reopened. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're one of the people that I, have been watching as I've been on this journey of going live every day, like you, Joseph Jaffe, Chris Brogan, uh -huh. you know, these people who just like sort of leaped in and I was like, I can do that. You know what I mean? Like I can yeah. and should do that. It's just, it's just a good practice. And it's also keeping me sane by the way. Like, you know, as you, yes. as you said, so my, everyone's got like a, a different take on the new normal. Mine is, is build a new normal, which, and the, you know, the point just being like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime like literally everything is kind of flattening out and we can build it back up exactly how we want. And are you going to step into that opportunity or are you going to let it happen to you? Like, yes, you know, there's never been a time like this. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of my course, there's an exercise where it's, you know, it's, it's called the driver's seat, right? And are you in the driver's seat of your life or are you in the passenger seat of your life? And I think so many of us 
think we're in the driver's seat of our lives and then we kind of get complacent and the next thing we know we're like oh well why do I go to this place on vacation or why am I working so hard to send my kids to that school or you know why do I feel like I need to chase that next promotion yeah I don't know like we kind of forget and I think what happens is you know in our companies we have regular meetings, you know, weekly meetings, quarterly meetings, et cetera, to think about strategy, but we don't have it with ourselves. We don't have it with our families. Right. I mean, my family, we have a weekly family meeting and we sit down and we talk there about our goals and who we are and what we're doing and who's where each week and, you know, who needs a new bathing suit and <laughs> stuff like that. But, you know, we've only been, we've been doing it for like four years or so, but it completely changed the way we run our family because now we're actually all going in the same direction. And, right. and I think it's time this, this period in COVID has been, has been so incredibly um, difficult and, and uprooting. And, you know, it's like, it's like seismic shifts in the earth and tectonic plates and we're falling through them. And yet we've survived it so far. I mean, I know some people haven't right i mean i i, I understand that right. this is but, but, real but, but the, we're, t- we're talking about the collective society like we're all talking of collective us. society yeah, like yeah. we've Humanity. made it this far we're gonna keep making it what are you going to do with it and 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 are you going to look back on this time and say i was actually able to reset to refocus to re-strategize to take control over a life that i didn't even realize that i'd lost control over mm. it's it's it is it is a a gilded opportunity that's being handed to each and every one of us. I completely agree. So what are you most excited about right now? You were talking, can you talk about the thing you're getting ready to do? Yeah. You want to talk wonder how? Yeah. 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 Preview. Yes. 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 (laughs) So when Limitless came out, it debuted at number two on the Washington Post bestseller list right behind Michelle Obama. Amazing. Woon. I got like 9 million more books to catch up to her, but I'm, I'm working on it. Hey, that's a good number two. That is a solid number two, girl. Let me tell you. It's a solid number two. I'm proud of that. And I also shared the stage with Malala. I took a selfie with Malala Dude. when I got off stage, right? So I was like, Michelle Obama, Malala, no matter how long I live, this would be the weirdest week of my entire life. <laughs> so I'm on a red eye on the way home. And I was supposed to be, you know, beautiful, lie flat, first class, booked by the client, you know, great. Uh, red eye and I'm too old for red eyes, but I had a big thing the next morning and I was Malala Friday. So like, I'm, I couldn't miss either one of them. So I'm on this red eye and there was a, there was a, a mechanical problem with the plane. So they switched the the plane before we got on. And rather than being in this great lie flat seat, I'm in an upright center seat in coach, you know, wah, wah, right. Uh-huh. But still, I was exhausted. I'd left it all on the stage. I, get it. I was, I was at the end of like book debut week. So, you know, right. I I'm get exhausted. It. I get it. So I, at four 30 in the morning, I opened up my laptop and I was just like, it's four 28 AM or maybe it's seven to 28 AM or maybe it's one 28 AM. I don't even know where I am right now, but I think I'm somewhere like 13,000 <laughs> miles away from Vancouver and 700 miles to go back to Boston but somewhere between the blur that was yesterday and the blur that will be tomorrow is the space I'm in right now. And the space I'm in right now is wonder hell. And it was because I realized that I was so incredibly moved and humble that anybody wanted to spend, as you said, even five minutes thinking about this thing that I wrote. It was so wonderful. And also I had never been so tired in my entire fucking life. <laughs> it was hell. It was wonder hell. And here's what I realized about wonder hell. Wonder Hell made me really hungry because Wonder Hell is the space in your psyche where your burden of potential comes and unpacks its backpack and camps out with its little cot and goes, hey, hey, buddy, what you got for me? Mm -hmm. You have just realized that you set your goals here, 
but the world is saying it should be here. And are you going to live into that or are you going to let it pass you by? And once you see that potential, you see through the Rubicon of what you can be and you know that it's just there with maybe just a little bit more work, you can't unsee it. Mm. And so I'm fascinated by people who have lived through these moments of wonder hell where they have realized that there is multitudes of more inside of them and they have to dig deeper to get it and they actually realize they want it. So I was like, if people keep telling you, if you name it, you can tame it. I'm like, that's, that's horseshit. If you name it, you can claim it. Like, it's not just enough. Like, Today's show, great, but I want to be a Good Morning America. I want to be in Reese Witherspoon's book club. I want to be under the oak tree with Oprah. I mean, she's got to talk to someone. All right. Why not me, right. Right? right? So I realized that like your burden, the burden that you feel of your own potential is only as big as your ego. And what I realized was, I actually have a pretty big ego. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't know. And I've been taught my entire life because that's how we're socially, you know, that's how we're socialized. But especially as a woman, probably you as a person of color, we're like, don't be too ambitious, mm-hmm. right? Don't have too big of an ego. Mm-hmm. Don't get don't don't get too big for your britches and all of that. And what I realized was the hell with that. If my mission on earth is to empower people and help them live an even bigger life, if I don't do everything I can to do that, then I'm stealing from them. I'm stealing from them. So I want to live this huge thing. I want to live into my potential. So my next book is um. I'm just going to interview people who have lived through these moments of wonder hell and who have thrived in them instead of the ones who have been drowned by them. Cause I think that there are lessons that we can learn. And so, you know, I started going live every day on Facebook and then I got sick of my own voice. So I was like, I'm just going to interview other people, LGO TV. And so you're going to come on, I think in next week or the week after. And so we're going to talk about you and, you know, I think your story would be a great story for this, but you know, that feeling, that feeling of, yeah. I, I can't believe this is working. And also, Oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm going to do. Uh, I, I love that so much because uh, it gives me a framework for what I am experiencing right now. I'm so tired and I'm so humbled and overwhelmed. And uh, because this is live streaming, you know, we get some chats and like, I don't, I, I can never respond to the chats in real time, but Kate O'Neill, who is like my sister from another mother, I love her so much. She yes. is, has so much to do with the fact that I actually got this book out the door, uh, just gave us a nod for discussing the burden of potential um, yeah. and yeah, it's a thing. It's a the, real thing. Yeah. It's and the thing about the burden thing. of potential is that, is that you don't feel it if you don't recognize that you actually have that potential. So it's not like a false thing. It's not like you just have this inflated sense of ego. Like as soon as you feel that burden, it's because you recognize that you actually do have another yeah. gear inside of you. Yes. Like you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel the burden if you're like, this is all I can do. Like I left it all on the field. But the fact that you know that you have more, that's why you feel that weight so heavily on your shoulders. So I'm just, I'm fascinated by people who see that, who feel it, and then who figure out how to kick it up yet another notch. Okay. Fastest 30 minutes. Love it. Uh, <laughs> you said it would be. Dude, uh, Any anything else? Oh, gosh. Um, well, <laughs> if mean, people are interested look, in finding you dropped me. so much. Oh, I, oh I'm going to do that for you. Don't worry. I'm okay. going to do that for you. Anything else? <laughs> Oh, I just can't wait to have you on mine next week. Okay, that would be that's going to be amazing. Um, you are um, unbelievable. We're gonna have we'll have to do this more regularly, just because like totally, just selfishly, this was really good for me. This was really oh good for me. Yeah, you're good. I at what would you love do. to do this. Anytime you're very you good at what you do, Laura. Seriously. Um, oh, thank you, everybody out there. I know you want to go follow this incredible woman. Uh, 
Hey, LGO. I love also the LGO thing. I just think that's a badass handle. Um, that's super <laughs> slick. So it's really easy to find her everywhere online. Hey, LGO. Um, and uh, LimitlessPossibility.com if you want to learn more about the book and the course and all that good stuff. Uh, as for me, this is, as I think most everyone knows, book week. And it's been really great. And I am uh, just grateful, humbled, and everything we just talked about. Uh, but if you haven't picked up a copy... You know where to get it. You can go to Amazon. It is still only 99 cents for uh, another four days or something like that on the Kindle. But you can also buy signed versions, uh, which so many of you have, and I'm grateful for that, at my store, creativepower.co. Uh, the podcast, Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe, everywhere that you get podcasts, and Marcus Whitney everywhere online. That is it. We will be back tomorrow with the final, final episode of the week and send you all into the weekend safe and inspired. And until then, let's build a new normal, y'all. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe. Dude.